Country roads take me home to the place I belong. Steve McVeigh. Dirt roads network. Country roads take me home. All right. Hey, Outpost Theology listeners, this is Josh McNall, and I'm trying a new thing where I'm going to start every episode now with the John Denver song, and uh, I don't know anymore, so it could get rough. <laughs> but today, today, my guest is Steve McVeigh from the Dirt Roads Network. So, Steve, thanks for joining us. Hey, my privilege. I did not realize that as a music appreciation lover, I was going to enjoy this as much as I'm going to. It's an, it's a really, it's a service that we provide for all of our guests. Um, so, well, Steve and I have known each other for quite a few years. Um, Steve, you've been a, a pastor in Lamont, Kansas, correct? That is correct. The middle of nowhere, Kansas. There's a lot of middle of nowheres. I grew up in, in one of those in Kansas as well. So how many years were, uh, have you been at Lamont? Right now, 20 years, this 20, the summer of 2000 is when we arrived here. Okay. And you just announced, is it correct that you're going to be moving into a kind of a new role? Is that, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I will still um, be on staff here, but I'm, I'm giving all the senior leadership off to uh, Andrew Hurlbert. Um, and I am going to be officially designated as the rural missionary for Lamont Wesleyan Church. And in that role, I'll be uh, really focusing on Dirt Roads Network. Awesome. Well, if, if people have listened to Outpost Theology before, one of our kind of, uh, one of our hallmarks, aside from just random John Denver songs, is uh, trying to locate ourselves at what we call the frontier of theology, culture, and the church. And so I've wanted to have Steve on for a while to talk about uh, that frontier, which is in some cases literally a frontier, rural ministry. Um, planting churches, revitalizing churches in rural areas. Um, and so, Steve, you started uh, a network called Dirt Roads Network. Could you tell us just a little bit about that for folks maybe who aren't familiar? Yeah, absolutely. We have, um, we have four major initiatives, but basically the word network really, really belies relationships. And what what we recognized and what I recognized as a rural pastor for, you know, two decades is that there really aren't a lot of services available that really focus on rural ministry, that mm -hmm. understand rural ministry, that care about rural ministry. I mean, we're, we're typically we're smaller churches. We don't necessarily meet the old scorecard of budgets and, and you know, nickels and noses and all that kind of stuff. And so sometimes we're overlooked. Mm -hmm. And we just really began, began to be convinced that we needed a relationship of pastors who are committed mm -hmm. to every community having a life-giving, Bible-believing, community-transforming church. And whether that means revitalization or starting a new church or a new uh, work in some way, uh, we are just, that's all we are, is we're just a network of people who are absolutely committed to transforming rural America by, by having those types of churches um, minister in rural areas. Yeah. I think that's, as somebody who grew up you know, as I mentioned earlier, I grew up in a rural area in Kansas, uh, not terribly far from Lamont. Um, I was just south of Topeka and 
my grandfather has been doing rural ministry in Western Kansas, I think in the same place, basically for about 70 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I kind of have a, a background in your state, but also in, in rural ministry. And I think, you know, you're right that it, in some cases, rural ministry gets either overlooked or in some cases, almost like it's, it, it's seen as less important, I think, in terms of like what, where we look for church planting or, or how we think about um, just engaging in innovative ministries. And what, what are some, maybe some misconceptions people have about rural ministry? Oh my goodness, how long do we have? Okay, so um, <laughs> let's, let's just start with this. Rural ministry is a legitimate mission, uh, missionary calling. It is a legitimate uh-huh. calling of God. There are people who are called by God to be rural pastors. And I prefer the word missionary because it uh-huh. is a mission field. But sometimes, one of the biggest misconceptions, and in fact, here's how I'll describe it. Brian Garrett, um, a, a great pastor of a megachurch down in Texas, puts it this way. If two people graduate from college, and one of them tells us that they are headed to Africa to a remote village. We put their name on a postcard. We let them go and garner support all over the place. We treat them like a spiritual hero. And if they come back and they can tell us stories of life transformation, maybe they have a machete and a picture of them with a snake, whatever the case may be, we treat them like spiritual heroes. But if they come to Lamont, Uh Kansas, what we wonder is, is maybe they're not quite ready for the big leagues yet. And it's almost like it's a a baseball uh, situation where this is triple, well, this is single A. Let's put it how it is. And if you do really good in single A, maybe we'll move you up a little bit. And eventually you'll get to that real ministry in suburbia with the mega church. And, and so that's, that's the first thing is that, is that we absolutely must see this as a calling. This isn't a career. Mm-hmm. This is a calling and it is a legitimate calling. And, and you stop me when you want, when, whenever you want here, cause I'm going to go, I'm just going to go through a list. Okay. The, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say amen periodically. Okay. That'll, that'll work. The other thing is, is that somehow people believe that rural America is Christian. Now, mm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an element of that, which, you know, there's, there's like a form of basic Christian belief that isn't really Christian. I mean, like if you were to mm-hmm. ask the average person, are you a Christian? They would say mm-hmm. that they identify, um, politically as a Christian. They identify, you know, they think that Jesus is Lord. Does he have right. anything to do with their daily life? Probably not. But, right. but rural America is just as unchurched as any other area. As a matter of fact, in rural remote areas, if there isn't a life-giving, you know, community transforming, Bible-believing church, if that doesn't exist, the more remote the area is, the more unchurched it is. There are Mm. zip codes that have a church attendance, according to ARDA, of 13% in rural America. I mean, that's lower than uh, you would find in a lot of suburban areas. And so mm-hmm. the idea that this is Mayberry, that we're all Christian, no, this is a mission field that is lost. And more and more yeah. people are be, becoming aware of that. And and then another one. So this, so that's two of them. Here's a third misconception yeah. is that every rural town is alike. Listen, if you've seen one rural town, you've seen one rural town. You, mm-hmm. If you were a missionary, 
You would not study all of Africa. You would study the country, the region, the area that you were going. You'd recognize that every tribe is different and tribes could be 10 miles apart and their norms, their mores, whatever you want to, I don't know, I'm in, I'm in a big, I'm talking to Dr. McNall, so I want to use the big words, but but Every, everybody's a doctor now, Steve. I don't know if you've noticed that on the internet, but <laughs> well, I'm certainly a Facebook expert. Just for the record, if you if you need any, if you need to know anything, just tell me, and I will tell you with authority what the answer is. But like like Lamont is a town of 28 people. We're in between uh-huh. two communities. If you go roughly 10 miles east or west, uh, we would have Madison to the west. We'd have uh, Gridley to the east. Those two communities are profoundly different. Now, they have mm-hmm. a lot of similarities, but how I reach them, how I minister to them is, is tremendously different. You, you cannot say, I've been to one rural town, so I've seen them all. And, and mm-hmm. so, you know, I could, I could continue, but I think those would be some of the big ones, that, that mm-hmm. somehow this is just the minor leagues, that somehow this, you know, this mm-hmm. is, is an, a legitimate calling, that we're Christian, and that we are all alike. Those are just things that yeah. just those those get me started, Josh. Just so you know, I'm only a little get you warmed up about this. <laughs> well, I think that's fantastic. I, I think I wonder how much of it, Steve. I think you, you mentioned the assumption that oh well, you know, rural America is already Christian, right? So we don't need missionaries there. Like, I wonder how much of that stems from this kind of conflation of places that are deemed to be like really conservative. In places that are deemed to be like hyper Christian, that's just like assumed to be the same thing. You know, I, I remember that since I'm on a music kick today, the old Ben Folds or Ben Folds Five, the old you know, they had a they had like a song called Jesus Land, and it coincided with a map of Middle America, and it was just labeled Jesus Land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or the Bible Belt, or you yes. know those types of yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to say this. Um, I mean, there's, I mean, there, there is like this basic cultural Christianity where a person can be asked, are you a Christian? And they would identify mm-hmm. as a Christian. But if we're talking about Bible believing, life mm-hmm. transformational, you know, relationship with God, uh, church attending, those types of things, we absolutely are not. Christian. We, mm-hmm. we are, we are a mission field. Yeah. Well, I mean, at Lamont, I know one of the things that I've really respected about you is uh, one to, to be rooted in a place uh, for a long time and to, uh, to do ministry there and to get to know a community and to see uh, just significant transformation over a period of time as you bring as you look for people to bring into the rural mission field what are some of the key marks that you look for um to help them to to see fruit and to have long-term success or that in addition to maybe just the calling to rural ministry are there some other marks that you look for yeah absolutely and i do i do want to emphasize though not to be overly redundant if the calling isn't there nothing else matters I I have to be called because this is hard ministry. It is long term ministry. It is, um, in, in my opinion, 
you, it takes it takes three to five years to really be accepted as a pastor. And, and what you have is you have a lot of churches that are used to pastors coming, and as soon as they sort of get established, because it's viewed as the minor leagues, those pastors mm-hmm. are offered, you know, jobs that are, are, you know, they pay more, they're more, they're more sexy, all of those types of things. And so they're yeah. used to high turnover. I mean, I can remember my very first time here, I, I made this announcement that, you know, I'm transferring my position. So this last couple months, we've had all these people sharing their memories. Uh, this mm-hmm. one gentleman, I went out to feed cattle with him, which, by the way, if you're going to be a rural missionary, you better go out and feed cattle, work cattle, learn how to hunt fish, all that kind of stuff. But um, the very first thing he asked me once I got in the truck with him when we were driving is, how long are you going to be here? Mm. And so so one of the marks that I really think is important is that long-term mm-hmm. commitment. And, and part of that challenge is, is that after you've been here three, four years, and you really begin to establish leadership, those are the mm-hmm. hardest years because mm-hmm. um, rural people will go along with anything you say until it gets real. I mean, you know, they won't, you know, they're, they're not going to be people who like to say no, generally. They like to mm-hmm. go along, especially if it's agrarian. Agrarian people mm-hmm. want to be positive. And so, they will go along with somebody until finally the change really gets real. And for a lot of rural pastors that, you know, years three to five is just a, those are just very tough years. If you can weather those, then you can really begin to accomplish something. So I'm looking for someone who's interested in long-term and then very frankly, your emotional intelligence is far more Mm -hmm. important than your theological training. Mm. Can you understand people? Do you mm-hmm. know how to handle conflict? Do you know how to read what a person says? Like, oh, just just a little example in our in our setting. If someone says to me, Pastor, do you want me to do that? And another mm-hmm. person says, Pastor, would you like me to do that? Mm-hmm. I understand that I just did not hear I, those, those two people are not saying the same thing, and I have okay. to be. I have to be a person who can understand relationships well enough to know that that first person is saying, Pastor, I love you. And if you need me to do this, I will do it out of love for you. I don't want to do it, but I will do uh-huh. it if you want me to do it. Pastor, uh-huh. would you like me to do it means I'm excited about doing this. You know, uh, now, okay. now that I'm not going to say that's across the board rule, because if you've been in one rural town, you've only been in one rural town. But that's something right. here that, that I've picked up on. Um, so that emotional intelligence and being able to, to relate to people and then very frankly, a sense of gentleness um, mm. in terms of being strong, but at the same mm-hmm. time, being patient and kind and understanding change does not happen as fast here. And mm-hmm. and so um, when it does happen, I mean, you make hay when the sun shines, but mm-hmm. are you willing to be gentle with people, even when they disagree? You know, do, do you have to have everyone line up right on your team? If you do, you might not be cut out for because, you know, we're highly individualistic. You know, we mm-hmm. will be fully supportive of you and still want to, like, forge our own trail. You have to be the type mm-hmm. of person that can that can emotionally 
be strong and, and just not have to have your you know your back padded all the time. And I know I'm throwing a lot of different things out there, Josh. I, I, but yeah. but the it's it's sort of an intangible that I look for when I'm looking for people that that say they are called into rural ministry. Yeah. Outpost Theology is proud to be sponsored by Oklahoma Wesleyan University, a leading Christian liberal arts university in the Wesleyan tradition. So whether you are an undergraduate student looking for a traditional on-campus experience, whether you are a high school student wanting to take concurrent courses, or a graduate or professional student looking to take courses online, Oklahoma Wesleyan University has a degree that is right for you. Just go to www.okwu.edu. That's www.okwu.edu. One of the questions I had, Steve, was, does somebody have to be from a rural area to be successful in rural ministry? Can you be kind of a city kid or do you have to be somebody who is coming home to a rural area? You know, Josh, that is a million dollar question. So let me just start with my story. I grew up in Lansing, Michigan. And uh, I know that you uh, ministered in Michigan for a little while, helped plant a church yep. there. And uh, I think that's one of the first times that you and I really, really, you know, begin to develop a relationship. But Lansing, Michigan is far from rural. I mean, it is huge. Yeah. And and like our, the things that we value, I mean, like my dad was a union worker and, uh-huh. you know, I mean, you just go down the list. In every way, I was a city boy. I did, I mean, conceptually, I understood the difference in between steers and bulls and cows and all that kind of stuff. But I couldn't look at a pasture and tell you what any of those, they right. were cows. Well, right. they are not cows. There's, there's all sorts of <laughs> other descriptors for them. And I did not know any of those. God called me here in a very unique way, and I came with a spirit of humility, which is mm-hmm. so important, because like if I had come in and told them all repeatedly how much better my city ways were, I would have never been accepted. But, yeah. but these, these folks were, were kind enough to teach me what it was to be rural, and I was receptive enough to listen. But I do think that situations like mine are the exception and not the rule. What yeah. most people that are trying to recruit rural pastors find is that it's important to have someone who is coming home, as it were. And, and an example from the corporate world is a nuclear plant. And so this is a mm-hmm. nuclear plant, Josh, that you would know. Um, it is right in between where you grew up and where I do ministry. So it's like 30 miles south mm-hmm. of you. It's like 30 miles east of me. Yep. Um, what they have discovered is that they need to recruit locally. This is a this, you know, if you're a nuclear plant operator, you're making mm-hmm. six figures. The starting wage is $100,000. But mm-hmm. that corporation has put all sorts of training, all sorts of money into training you to be a nuclear operator. And what yeah. they found is that if they brought people in, if they recruited someone to Burlington, Kansas, a town of 4,000, uh-huh. which is huge yeah. compared to Lamont's 28, by the way, <laughs> I go to town when I go to Burlington, Kansas, for crying a out loud. Big city. Yeah, it's, it's big. They, 
they actually have like five restaurants in that town. All right. I mean, it's amazing. There's no restaurants here. I got to drive seven miles to get to a Casey's to have a takeout gas station pizza where I am. So anyway, they have found if they recruit someone, they pour all that money into training that person. The minute that that person gets their nuclear operator's license, they're shopping their resume and getting themselves to a big city. And so what Mm. they have is an active recruitment program, even in high school, trying to attract the kids who live here already that have potential so that they can invest in them. And then that person will be content there because Mm -hmm. living in a rural area is so different than living in a city. Yeah. So that you don't, you don't have to be from a rural area, but it, in your experience, it helps a lot because you're going to feel more at home in, in that environment and you're more likely to stick around with, in that environment, right? Absolutely. And you'll understand. See, there's an entire chart and, and I, um, I don't have it in front of me and I don't, it would take up, it, it literally it would take two workshops for me to walk someone through this. There Uh is a different way of communicating, of leading, of planning. I mean, in every way, especially agrarian cultures are different Mm -hmm. than white collar cultures. And and so I'll just give you one example if that would maybe give you a sense of what I'm talking about. When it comes to planning and goal setting, okay, Mm -hmm. Um, John Maxwell will tell you that if your goal doesn't have a date on it, It's just a dream, and you're just living in fantasy world. Mm -hmm. That isn't how a rural mindset thinks. Here's how a rancher or farmer thinks. They have a prioritized list, the key being prioritized list, that Mm -hmm. is sequential in nature. Mm -hmm. And so I might need to get the fence fixed. I might need to paint Mm -hmm. the barn. And I might need to replace this particular piece of equipment. And I will have those things in front of me. I know those things need to be done. And I know which thing has to be done first. And I know what things have to be in place to do those things. Mm -hmm. I will do them when the timing is right, when Mm -hmm. the the things line up that need to happen. Because you see, as a farmer, I don't control the weather. I don't control the prices. I don't control how well my crop is done that year. I don't control whether or not weeds are going to be out of control. I don't control anything when I'm a farmer. I know what Mm -hmm. needs to be done, but much of what I do is reactive. And so that affects the way that you do everything at church. And so like Mm -hmm. when we budget, for example, here at Lamont Wesleyan Church, and if I'm getting too much in into like the details, Josh, just tell me. But when we write a budget, we have two budgets. We have an operations mm-hmm. budget. This money is what we have to have. It includes salaries okay. and utilities and anything like that. And then mm-hmm. we have really a projects budget. And that is prioritized. We know how much these things are going to cost. They may or may not get done this year. They may get done next year. It isn't a matter of faith. It's a matter of we know we want to do these. And when we have what we need to do those things, we will do them. And and so if I merge those two budgets and presented it to a board and said, this is our faith budget, And this is what we're going to do. They would look at that and they would reject it because it goes against the way that they think. They may be for 
every single item that you want to do, but because you've presented it the way that you have in a way that's foreign to them, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, they would love to fix the fence, paste the barn, mm-hmm. and get new machinery this year. But they're right. wise enough to know that isn't going to happen. They would never sign off on that for a business plan. And so what I've seen is like people that don't understand that, they come in to lead a rural church, and they think that these people are against them when the people are really for them. They're just speaking right. a different language. Yeah. It's a different culture and a different uh, way of approaching you know, those tasks. Well, here's a question I've had, because I've, I've been a pastor in, and still am a pastor in, in kind of a um, associate pastor role, but you go to conferences, right? And I remember going to all the big conferences, going to Willow Creek and going to all, you know, and it, it seemed like back in the day when I was doing that, there, the conferences were all geared toward uh, almost, it was like, here's how to be a suburban megachurch, right? Um, here's in, and I, and I've wondered like, and I know you've been involved, I think in some rural ministry conferences to kind of equip and encourage and train rural ministers. Um, what, can you talk a little bit about that? How the, the specifically the conferences and the tools, how they oftentimes maybe don't quite match up with the context of rural ministry and how, how you're working to maybe change that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And that is one. We have four major initiatives that we're involved in right now as we really launch um, this network. And um, one of them has to do with this idea of resourcing rural pastors with rural-specific training, with rural Mm -hmm. expectations. Some of that is changing. I do want to say that um, nationally, Ed mm-hmm. Stetzer has given a lot of um, a lot of attention to Rural Matters Institute. Um, Dirt Rose mm-hmm. is a partner of Rural Matters Institute. That's a part of the Billy Graham Center. It's based there at Moody, and it really is addressing the fact that there are there, there's a need for rural ministry to be you know, to really be highlighted and that it's a specific, there's a specific missiology that needs to be understood when you go into rural America. That really came about in 2016 with the election of Donald Trump, frankly. I mean, Mm. all of a sudden, everyone wanted to know who these people were that voted for Donald Trump, and that included the ministry side of it. And so we're beginning Mm. to see a change. But the reality is, is that you almost need an interpreter to understand what you should do when you go to these major, you know, some of these major conferences. And quite uh-huh. frankly, I mean, I will, I mean, I don't know who all listens to this, so I won't use any names and, uh, but I'll just, I'll just tell you the truth. I was at a, I was John, at, John Denver. Was John, John Denver. Denver. Okay. So like I was at a conference where I was one of the, the keynote speakers and the other keynote speaker we were both in the same denomination. We were both Wesleyans. We were speaking to Wesleyans. The other person came from more of the John Maxwell side of things, had been a lead mm-hmm. pastor at a mega church. And the mm-hmm. issue of relationships was what we were supposed to talk about, the two of us. And so we both, mm-hmm. without talking to each other, had given two different workshops. And people that attended both workshops told us, okay, that we taught the exact opposite thing that that um from a and and i don't, i shouldn't use john maxwell as an example but just that kind of mindset that megachurch mindset talks yeah. about are you willing to give up relationships to go up 
Okay, I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's sort of a fundamental mm-hmm. megachurch principle. Are you willing to are you willing to jettison some people and bring on new leaders in order to go up and and they will mm-hmm. actually say, okay, if you're not willing to lose some of those relationships, that's a leadership yeah. lid for you. Okay, uh-huh. that's yeah. that is what that doesn't work in rural America at all. Yeah, I, I mean, I relationships matter more, and I you know we relationships are more important than 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 policies, than buildings, than I mean relationships. That's you know everything, and, and very frankly, every time Jesus chose in between leadership and relationship, he always chose relationship because Jesus yeah. was a country church pastor. I mean, when he finally yeah. ended up in Jerusalem, we know what happened there, right? I mean, most of his successful ministry was—I mm-hmm. guess I probably yeah. shouldn't have put it that way. I mean, he was in Jerusalem <laughs> other times, but you know what I'm saying. Um, relationship is so important. And so uh-huh. what we do, and and I unfortunately just yesterday I got a call. We were we had a, a big conference planned at Southern uh, Wesleyan University in October, uh-huh. and they because of COVID we're not going to be able to do that. Yeah. But but we just begin. We do conferences. We begin with this concept: you are a normative church. You're not a small church. You're a normative church. The normal church is less mm-hmm. than a hundred. I mean, if you look at, mm-hmm. you know, the normal church has the issues that you're you're facing. Those mega churches, they're in their own little world and they are important. We will never mm-hmm. at Dirt Roads Network trash them at all. You know what I mean? Right. They they right. have their mission field and they are doing what they should do to reach their mm-hmm. mission field. But I am firmly convinced that we need rural specific conferences so that mm-hmm. even the networking that you can do, you I mean, like. I got so tired of having re- re- conversations with people in which I have to say to them, well, that wouldn't work in rural. And their mm-hmm. response is, stop making excuses. You know, you just need to be a stronger mm-hmm. leader. No, actually, yeah. I know my context. Mm-hmm. And so here's what's happened. And and I'll just be really, because there's two sides of Dirt Roads Network. You know, we say rural ministry matters. And mm-hmm. rural pastors matter, rural congregations matter, and so we defend them. And then we say to them, that rural pastor, that rural congregation, right. you matter. Get off your bottom and do something, okay? But here's yeah. what happens. If every time I bring up that I'm in a rural setting and and that it's different for me, and if mm-hmm. I know, like you're talking about your church being a 1,000, I'm in a town of 28, I will mm-hmm. never be a church of a thousand. I mean, right. you know, the whole reason that that Lamont Wesleyan Church is even on the the map these days is because we, you know, we somehow managed to hit four hundred here, and and then God gave us a different calling um, to mm-hmm. plant churches rather than just to try to collect people. But but nonetheless, what it does in the psyche of that pastor is if I cannot, if I if I cannot measure up, I'm going to check out. Right. Since yeah. since my ministry, even if I do my ministry very well, no one's going to recognize right. it. Now, now this is why calling is important again, Josh, because I yeah. I answer to one. You right. know, this and that's why, you know, it's a calling not a career because you know, I'm when I'm thinking this way, I'm thinking career pathway. You know, I want to be affirmed by those who are over me. There's a lot of rural pastors, there's a lot of rural congregations who've checked out yeah. And and one of those reasons is because the training we give them and the expectations we put on them are unrealistic. 
And so if so I, I just want to stop because yeah. I think that's super helpful just to echo like so what you're saying and you can correct me if I'm missing this right but because we've had a definition of success that is not feasible in a rural context namely you know you got to have a mega church or you got to have XYZ when pastors realize that they can't be quote successful the human tendency in that context is to kind of coast or to check out from ministry would that be kind of a fair way of encapsulating what you're what you're saying yeah and that that is one of the reactions can i tell you another reaction yeah the pastor can end up resenting his congregation and see them as a problem and say yeah. you know if they would just do these big city things with me yeah. and i want to tell you something a rural person can read that kind of thing <laughs> better than anyone else yeah they know when you don't believe yes. in them and yeah. and and so let me just let me just go back to the missionary um, example for just a minute. If I went to to rural Africa, if I went mm-hmm. to a village that I wanted to reach, and when I got there, it just so happened that there was a job where I would have like I I could I could earn a little bit of money and have contact with every single family in that village who had children. I would write in my missionary letter that God has provided for us both financially and he is opening a door to this town for us. This is a huge answer to prayer. But I have seen rural pastors as they drive that school bus, hang their head thinking John Maxwell would never do this. And I'm telling you, you end up missing the ministry opportunity there. Yeah. Where, no, because if you come at that with a missionary mindset, you're praying for every one of those kids. You're trying to build relationships with those families. This Mm -hmm. is an open door for you. This isn't me settling to be a co-vocational pastor. This is me Mm -hmm. living out my calling. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. Yeah. And I think, you know, you mentioned the idea that with 2016 and the election of Donald Trump, a lot of people are beginning, and don't worry, I'm not going to make this about Trump like everything else in the culture, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a lot of a lot of people suddenly begin to pay more attention to quote flyover country to try to like figure out what happened, right? Who and and you mentioned just now this idea that rural people can kind of smell resentment or condescension a mile away, and I think that explains a lot in our culture, like. People can tell when they're being uh, sort of looked down upon or resented or dismissed and and that plays out in all sorts of toxic ways, you know, in our culture. But I am somehow getting to a question, I think. But here, here's the question, like, you know more than anybody, we live in polarized times, right? Partisan, partisanship, everything's hyper-political, right? One of the things I've always appreciated about your ministry is you've found ways to speak into a polarized climate in a gracious way, in a thoughtful way. Um, and I'm not saying you do that perfectly. You do it better than I do. But what are some lessons you've learned about how to minister in a polarized time and how to speak into a culture that is polarized and partisan? in a way that bears fruit. Have you have you kind of learned some lessons, maybe even specifically in a rural context about that? 
yeah, you know, this this last four months have been the most difficult that rural pastors have ever faced. And I imagine mm-hmm. that is beyond rural. Um, mm-hmm. I work with rural pastors. Um, immediately, they had what what I would consider a technical challenge. Um, we talk about yeah. one, yeah. one of the things that, that we sort of separate is the difference between a technical challenge and an adaptive challenge. You know, sort of going to mm-hmm. Marty Linsky and some of the leadership theory and all that kind of stuff. But how do I how do I put my services online? Yeah. And how do I get my services to people who may not have good internet? And how do I get my services to people who aren't computer savvy? Listen, we had some people yeah. that still didn't have email addresses. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so how do I keep a per you know, there's all that technical stuff. And yeah. then there was this this misconception, I think, that when we could start meeting together, it would be like Easter. Okay. Yeah. Everyone would be like, we are so glad to be back. And those divisions have worked their ways way into, I mean, yeah. the, the horror stories of pastors being put in the middle and in a small yeah. rural setting where relationship matters. There are pa- rural pastors who've had families get in social media fights with one another. The pastor hasn't had anything to do with it. And then suddenly they're put on the spot because maybe it's about mask or something like that. And are you going to ask us to wear a mask when you go to church? I mean, I I had a pastor the other day tell me that their VBS director called them up and said, if you make me wear a mask, I resign. Okay. Hmm. And, and so what, what I would say is, is that, first of all, you as a pastor had better just walk away from your own political beliefs and understand you're a part of the kingdom of God. Because if mm-hmm. you, if you get in, like, if you have a, if you lean either way really strong, mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. emotional triggers are going to, are going to go off and you're going to end up jumping into the fray. So that's the yeah. first thing. Make sure that you are doing what you're going to be asking your people to do. Yeah. And then what what I and and you know I did a video on this and I can send you the link for this. It's the most watched Dirt Roads video that we've ever done where we tried to give rural pastors advice on how to bring yeah. their congregations back together. But we really just have to ground ourselves in scripture and specifically Philippians chapter two, specifically the idea that Jesus gave up all of his rights. He did mm-hmm. not consider equality with God as something to be held on to but let mm-hmm. go of it so that he could accomplish the mission. Mm-hmm. And so what, what I try to do and what I try to tell rural pastors to do, and, and Josh, admittedly, it isn't working 100% these days because people, yeah. there are forces out there who yeah. make their living off yeah. of pushing the buttons of people yeah. and they get yeah. so emotional about yeah. their side that when they find themselves like they, they and, and we all assume if you're my brother or sister in Christ, then you must agree with me on everything. Yeah. Not so fast. You know, yeah. that isn't the way that works. Um, even something like mask. Yeah. I mean, good yeah. followers of Jesus can have two different views of whether or not they should wear a mask. But what, what here's, yeah. here's the thing from, from Philippians chapter two, every person, Every person is my brother or sister in Christ, and they matter. So I mm-hmm. need, I need to affirm them, and yeah. and so it's a discipleship opportunity, uh, and and I handle it as discipleship. I am teaching you how to honor someone other above you know honor yeah, someone above good. yourself. Yeah, 
Yeah. Outpost Theology is proudly sponsored by Oklahoma Wesleyan University. This year, OKWU is launching their brand new esports program. If you or someone you know is talented at video games and is looking to take their talent to the next level, Oklahoma Wesleyan University is offering scholarships for eligible students to join the team and get their degree. If you have any questions regarding OKU esports or scholarship opportunities, please email esports at okwu.edu. That is esports at okwu.edu. So when we left off, Steve, you were talking about rural ministry in a time of pandemic, in a time of partisanship and social media and all that, which I think all of us are trying to to figure out um, how that how that works. And what are do you have some specific examples of just some beautiful things that God has done in your rural community that you could share? to encourage others out there. Maybe they're in rural ministry. Maybe they're feeling called to rural ministry. Just some examples of God's grace in, in your work there in a rural context. Yeah, absolutely. One of the great things about being a rural pastor is that you do get to see the fruit of your labor. Hmm. And so I've been here 20 years. And today... There are young people, at least they're young to me, they're in their 20s, they're in their early mm-hmm. 30s, that are, are they're, they're away now, you know, they, you have the, the rural flight, there's not a lot mm-hmm. of jobs here, but mm-hmm. I, got to, I, I got to watch them grow up and mature in their faith. I got to minister to them while they were teenagers and be the one that they called when they had trouble at college and those types of things. And you get yeah. to you get to really be there, and and see the transformation that yeah. takes place. And so, like, I, I will give you um, I'll give you the story of a couple that this this is a, a, a decade long story. There was there was a gentleman um, that I met, and I won't use any names because I have you know in a small town. Everyone will be able to figure out who you're talking about. <laughs> but when I first met this gentleman, he really wasn't a follower of Jesus. He had um, he was on his uh, his third marriage was coming to an end. He was a very hard man, and um, a friend of his had been hunting and trapping with him and had talked to him about Jesus. And he came to me and he accepted Christ. And over the last ten years. Um, just a, a complete transformation with this individual, just day after day changing, you know, God changing their lives. Um, he met, he met a, a, a lady who really wasn't following Jesus either. She began to follow Jesus. They get married. And, and today she leads a jail ministry that is, is really in the, on the cusp of going statewide. Where, where she ministers to people that she would have had nothing to do with when I first met her. And because, yeah. and, and I'm sure this happens in cities too. But what I would sure. tell you yeah. is, is that as a rural pastor, you're, you get to see that. I mean, like you maintain, mm-hmm. you know, it isn't, it, even when people are sent, they still, there's a closeness there. And so over the years, you see real ministry fruit. It doesn't always work itself out in budgets and butts, you know, in the seats. 
Yes. But yeah. you get to see people whose lives are changed. You get yeah. to know, for example, that this marriage is going to last. You get to know yeah. that this person's life is now one marked by freedom and not bondage. And, and I get to see that as a rural pastor. And now yeah. 20 years into this, there are young people who are headed off to college that I was at the hospital when they were born. Mm. You know, I yeah. held them when they were born and prayed over them. And, and yeah. I am like family to them. Right. And, and when you think about what it means to be a shepherd, what it means to be a pastor, there is a mm-hmm. richness that comes from, you know, being a, a small town rural pastor once, you, yeah. once you've been there a while. I mean, I'm in a situation now like if the school wants to do something and it might conflict with Wednesday night. You big city uh, folks, imagine this. Imagine the superintendent of schools calling you up, knows you by first name, yeah. and says, hey, yeah. we, we have this huge scheduling conflict, and we're going we're gonna to need to move this, this event to a Wednesday night on mm-hmm. such and such a date. Would you give? Would that be okay with you? With you? Would you? Would you be willing to like adjust youth group for that? And knowing that if it was really important that for me to say no, I mean I'm going to say yes. But knowing right. if I had to say no for some reason, that they would consider yeah. rescheduling because they yeah. don't want to conflict with us. I mean, those types of things. It, it really. Yeah. It, in a, in a small pond like this, you can be the big fish and truly make mm-hmm. a difference in a way that maybe you wouldn't get to do in a larger setting. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, everybody, I think this is almost a cliche, but I think it's true that like at the end of our lives and at the end of our ministries, the things that are going to matter to us are the relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the relationships, the people that you had a chance to actually know and to disciple to uh, to be there at the births of children and the deaths of spouses and to preach weddings and funerals. I have a picture of my grandpa who's 92 now in Western Kansas. And it's a picture of him officiating the wedding. It's out in a, it's literally out in a field of the third generation in a family. So he married hmm. the grandparents. He, he officiated the grandparents' wedding. He married the the children he officiated their wedding and now he's officiating the wedding of the hmm. the grandkids you know in this same small community and uh, you know he's 92 years old um at the end of your life those relationships those are what are going to matter to you those those are deep and lasting and again it's not that numbers don't matter it's not that all the other things don't matter too but there's some real beauty there in a rural context about getting to know people uh, closely and over, across generations. I think that's, that's fantastic. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, it's a joy. And I was just talking to a rural pastor the other day who transitioned out into another um, ministry setting, mm-hmm. uh, having been the pastor at the same place for 20 plus years. And, and I was talking to them and they uh, about some ministry things and and the pastor looked at me and said i have not been on a pe- i have not been on a hospital call for 3 years mm. i didn't like them all the time when i used to have to do them yeah but i desperately miss those opportunities yeah yeah 
Yeah. Well, Steve, thanks for joining us today. And if folks want to, ha- if they, they want to get uh, some more info about Dirt Roads Network, where can they where can they find out about it? They can go to um, dirtroadsnetwork.com. Um, They can also look us up on Facebook. They can look up Dirt Road Circuit Riders podcast. Uh, We're launching a podcast. Um, Or they can just email me at steve uh, at dirtroadsnetwork.com. And uh, we would love to talk to you, especially if you're interested in planting a rural church, then we want to talk to you. uh, Because we just really believe that that's the future. And then for listeners, I'll get all that stuff. I'll put it in the show notes in the uh, in the show description, so you can have those links and uh, check uh, check out what Steve's doing there at Dirt Road ne- Dirt Roads Network. Thanks, Steve. Thank you very much, Josh. I sure appreciate you. Appreciate you. Take care. <laughs>